gender, body acceptance, abortion, sex, racial justice, feminism, birth, parenthood, stigma, bodily autonomy, and more. This is Reproductive Left by Mabel Watzer Center, an independent feminist nonprofit comprehensive healthcare provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Welcome to the third and final episode of our hot Mabel summer season of Reproductive Left. I'm your host Aspen, I use they them pronouns, and today we'll be chatting about the intersections of trans health and abortion. Oftentimes, trans health is talked about in a very stigmatizing way that frames it as being frivolous, unnecessary, and dangerous. Anyone who is familiar with how abortion is discussed might think that sounds a bit familiar. Gender-affirming care is also widely viewed as being very niche care only accessed by trans people, when that's not the case. When we look at how abortion is discussed, it's not uncommon to see folks only talk about cis women as being the ones who have abortions. As someone who is not a woman but can get pregnant, I can pinky promise you that it isn't just women who have abortions. To start off, let's explain what I mean when I say gender-affirming care. I have noticed especially that when I say this care isn't just for trans folks, people often get confused. First, my perspective is that all care people access has the potential and responsibility of being gender-affirming, and typically already is for cis folks. What name do the pharmacy staff call you when you pick up a prescription or get a vaccine? What pronouns do the staff at your healthcare provider's office use to refer to you? These are important pieces of gender affirmation and basic and easy respect that come up in all healthcare spaces. Now, most often, when we're talking about gender-affirming healthcare, we're talking about things like gender-affirming hormone therapy or surgical procedures. Maybe a trans man taking testosterone and having top surgery to remove his chest tissue, or a trans woman taking estradiol and spironolactone and having an orchiectomy to remove her gonads. Side note here, these examples I gave are folks who are binary genders, but gender-affirming care is not a binary thing. I've heard way too many transphobes frame this care as being mutilating. Funnily enough, I haven't heard any of them levy that criticism at Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who had surgery to address his gynecomastia in the early 2000s. If you don't know, gynecomastia is a medical diagnosis given to cisgender men with more chest tissue than is considered typical. The Rock has shared that what he considered to be excessive chest tissue had a negative impact on his self-esteem, leading him to have the chest tissue removed. While I strongly feel that our culture has very narrow and damaging ideas of how a gender should look, I am also very glad he was able to get the gender-affirming care that he needed and decided was right for him. Because that's exactly what this care was, gender-affirming. Similarly, it's not just trans women and trans femmes who are getting breast augmentation. 
That is care often sought out by cis women as well. The same is true for electrolysis, laser hair removal, and hysterectomies. When it comes to hormones, those medications were originally created for cis people whose bodies, for one reason or another, didn't produce the ideal levels of estrogen or testosterone. I think it's important to note here that everyone's bodies need both estrogen and testosterone. Frankly, if you described just about any medical procedure the way transphobes talk about gender-affirming surgeries, especially neovaginoplasty, they would all sound scary. Imagine if someone tried to dissuade me from my thyroidectomy by being like, don't you know they're going to drug you, hold you down, slash open your neck, and brutally rip out a vital organ? We can all recognize that's pretty ridiculous. I have noticed that just like transphobes sensationalize the imagined harm of gender-affirming hormones and procedures, anti-abortion people do the same with abortion care. I won't repeat the misinformation they say here, but it is absolutely wild how they try to make some of the safest and most straightforward healthcare available sound like an experimental death sentence. Let's take a quick break for a Mabel's Fast Fact. Roughly 10% of the U.S. population of reproductive age struggles with fertility, according to the National Institutes of Health. Learn more in our show notes or at www.mablewatcher.org. Welcome back. As I was discussing, one thing that abortion care and gender-affirming care have in common is how they are stigmatized and sensationalized. Having heard legislators argue either in favor of anti-abortion legislation or against abortion-positive legislation, it is absolutely wild how dedicated people can be to not just being hateful, but also wrong. And the same is true when it comes to trans-related legislation. From just being downright wrong about how medication abortion works, which is safer than Tylenol, mind you, to making up a laundry list of supposed health issues from having abortions that have no basis in reality, it's a trip. Aside from the lies and stigma around how abortions actually work, there is of course the stigma just against having or providing abortions and framing them as immoral. We see this with abortions at any stage and often for any reason, but the lies and stigma definitely ramp up when we look at folks having abortions later in pregnancy, where LD 1619 just got signed into law here in Maine that removes gestational limits. This is something particularly on my mind. Now, you'll notice that I don't use the phrase late-term abortion, which is very intentional, not only because is it a very politicized and sensational phrase, but also because it's just not medically accurate. Like, seriously, late-term abortion is not a real thing because it's contradictory by medical definitions. The actual medical definition of late-term in regards to pregnancy is a pregnancy that goes to 41 or 42 weeks. If you don't believe me, you can go check with the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. But the stigma against abortions later in pregnancy doesn't end with antis using incorrect and inflammatory language, if you can believe it. There are a multitude of reasons why someone may have an abortion later in pregnancy. 
They might not have known they were pregnant until then, especially if they have an irregular period or very young. There may be fatal fetal anomalies that weren't detected until then. The pregnant person could have been in an abusive relationship and was prevented from accessing abortion care when they wanted to. They might have developed a medical condition that threatens their own life or well-being. The specific why does not matter beyond the specifics of how we provide support to those having abortions later in pregnancy. A person with a planned pregnancy who has developed medical complications that lead to abortion and a person who simply didn't know they were pregnant until later in pregnancy are equally valid. Again, the care they need and the support they need might be different because of their specific circumstances, but they both need the care they need. The same is true for people having abortions earlier in pregnancy. The person who got pregnant by rape and the person who just doesn't want to be pregnant deserve the same level of autonomy over their bodies. There is never a point where the pregnancy takes precedence over the pregnant person. People sometimes assume that because of my stance on always supporting abortion access, especially for abortions later in pregnancy, that I must hate pregnancy and babies. I am recording this episode as I get ready to go do lawn work for friends who just had their baby and with plans to help another pregnant friend prep their nursery in a few days. The fact that I have to specify this and justify this is honestly wild, though I'm sure our listeners understand that, you know, supporting abortion doesn't mean you hate pregnancy and babies. The pregnant person, their feelings, and their needs always come first for me. Supporting pregnant people in doing what they know is right for them should not be radical. Autonomy and agency do not disappear when someone is pregnant because pregnant people are not vessels. With that, let's take another quick break for Mabel's Fast Fact. Did you know that Mabel Wadsworth Center prescribes PrEP for HIV prevention? Learn more at MabelWadsworth.org and make an appointment today by calling 947-5337. Welcome back. Now, I want to dig into the overlap and connections between trans health and abortions. As I've already touched on, there's a lot of stigma, disinformation, and sensationalism around both floating around out there. Transphobes and anti-abortion people alike shout from the hilltops that people getting this care will live sad lives filled with remorse and regret and medical complications, even though research shows the opposite. Anti-abortion and anti-trans legislators fight tooth and nail to restrict and outright ban access to this care against the will and well-being of their constituents. It's not a coincidence that the same states banning abortion are also banning gender-affirming care for trans folks. Trans health and abortions are not only connected by stigma and attacks on access, though. First, of course, there are trans people who have abortions, which is something we've discussed here several times before. Beyond that, both gender-affirming care for trans folks and abortion access are examples of where people particularly marginalized people, are able to exercise autonomy and agency of their bodies. 
This is why there is shared stigma against trans health care and abortion care. This is why we cannot fight for one or the other, and why it is essential we do not exclude trans folks when it comes to abortion and all pregnancy outcomes. Thank you so much for joining me today as I discuss the intersections and interconnectedness of trans health care and abortion care. I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you.